My name is Tim. I'm the discipleship pastor here at North Langley, and uh, so glad that you have joined us here this morning. And uh, we have the opportunity to jump back into the Gospel of Luke one more time before we start our series next week. And uh, if you were with us last week, you would remember that Jesus taught us why it's important to be ready for His coming. We learned that the importance of tending to our own spiritual formation as we wait for Him. He wants to find the house of our lives and of our church, ready to welcome Him when He shows up. I hope you've been giving some thought and prayer to that um, and what that means for you in 2023. As we continue uh, through chapter 12, Jesus is going to focus in His attention on the question of leadership, of influence. So, perhaps you know this story. A nerdy teenager named Peter is... uh, bitten by a radioactive, genetically altered spider. And soon after, he's in the school cafeteria and weird things happen. And it turns out he ends up in a fight with one of the school bullies. And uh, he's suddenly amazingly agile and uh, strong. And the the, the bully is sent packing. And he's coming to grips with these new skills. His uncle who raises him knows that he's gotten a bit of trouble at school. And, And so on their way to somewhere... Uncle uh, says, Peter, I need you to talk about something, or I need to talk about something with you. And he says, this guy, Flash Thompson, he probably deserved what happened, but just because you can beat him up doesn't give you the right to. And then we hear one of the great lines in cinematic history. Do you know it? Remember. That's right. With great power comes great responsibility. Now, maybe because of the way that news travels broadly in our connected world, we're more aware than ever of the ways that leadership can be used for good or for evil, even in the church. There's a good reason that Australian church historian subtitled his documentary on church history, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Imagined. His corresponding book is called Bullies and Saints. We can give thanks for the faithful women and men, the saints, who've used their influence and authority, their power, with a sense of responsibility toward God. They've been people of theological and moral integrity. But we've also been angered by the bullies in the church who thought that because they could beat someone up, they had the right to. And people who've misled and mistreated and misappropriated the resources of the people they lead. In their book, A Church Called Tove, Forming a Goodness Culture, Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger describe churches where this kind of leadership is present. They say toxic, flesh-driven cultures breed a lust for power, success, celebrity, control through fear, an emphasis on authority and demands for loyalty. These values might not be explicitly stated or even outwardly recognized, but as they fester in the heart of a leader, they can't help but bear bitter fruit, damaging the culture of the church and seeking to destroy anyone who gets in the way. Is this the church that Jesus meant to create? Is this the church He expected? Does Jesus have any plan to deal with the rot in the basement of his churches? 
Well, we heard this past summer uh, when Pastor Corey and Pastor Ben both spoke on Luke 11 that Jesus saw abuses of power and he called them out in the religious structures of his day. And Jesus wasn't naive. He knew that temptation would also plague the church that he was founding. But in his school of discipleship, Jesus was beginning a new movement. He was making a new kind of leadership team from men and women who followed him. And their aim would be to use their power to care for God's family across the generations until Jesus comes again. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be reading from, chapter, uh, from verse 41. Jesus has just taught about this importance of being alert and ready for the master. And Peter, who's always the eager student, puts up his hand in the middle of it and says, I got a question. And then we'll read from there. It says, Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, well, yeah, let's pray. This is, this is a hard passage to hear. God, we pray that as we dive into this, you would shape us with your word. God, each one of us has a place of influence and power. And it's so tempting, Lord, to use it for our own purposes. But we pray that today you'd give us a vision of what it looks like to lead like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. So Peter's kind of saying, Lord, are we getting special instructions here? And Jesus doesn't answer Peter directly, but he launches into this parable, this kind of word picture to get them to understand a little bit more. He's saying, yeah, everything I've said is for everyone, including you, but yes, I do have special instructions for you. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It's kind of a rhetorical question. Who can the master count on to be a trustworthy chief of staff? His implication is, I hope it's you guys as I lead you. Jesus is setting his apprentices apart from this wider crowd that's listening in. With great power comes great responsibility. Jesus is investing deeply in their formation, so they will have a greater responsibility. They aren't just kind of along for the ride. They're being trained. 
And when you're being trained, you want to know what defines a job well done. And Jesus makes it clear. They are given charge of the community's well-being. I hope you can sense the master's kindness and generosity here. He wants his household to be a good place for everyone. He's saying, pay attention. I'm training you so that you can lead as I would lead. So that the way the household is run in my absence is exactly how it would be run in my presence. In the years to come, each one of Jesus' apprentices will plant and lead church communities across the Roman Empire and even beyond. And Jesus is training them for that work. There will come a time where they need to pass on their leadership to the next generation and the next, all the way to us today. So what kind of master is Jesus? When we see his ministry, we certainly see he was a great speaker. He could kind of hold a crowd in the palm of his hand. But Jesus was unique in that he practiced what he preached all the time. He was completely transparent, the same person in private as he was in public. He was completely committed to his father's plan. He was compassionate toward the broken and people in spiritual bondage. He used his authority to bless the vulnerable and equip the people that he called and call out the hypocrisy of the religious elite. And eventually he gave his life on the cross to deliver us from the sentence of death. That is the kind of master that Jesus was. Jesus overturns the power dynamic that's inherent to worldly leadership. And he taught his managers to lead in the same way. Notice that Jesus makes it very clear that even though this, this manager has a special role in the house, that doesn't change his status. In verse 43, he says, it will be good for that servant, that doulos, it's the Greek word for bond servant, whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Peter and later Paul really took Jesus' teaching to heart. When they refer to themselves, when they write their letters, they call themselves a doulos. See, no matter how large my influence is, whether I'm leading a large organization or just a couple of people in my family, I am subordinate to Jesus. My power is derivative of the one who's truly in charge. I don't have any rights beyond what has been entrusted to my master, and technically I don't, know, I don't own anything. It all belongs to the master. I'm a doulos, a bondservant, a slave. The master is going to seek an accounting for what I did with the influence he gave me as his doulos. Now, you may not hold a formal position of leadership in the church, but even so, I think Jesus is speaking to every one of us. See, in Jesus' plan, he doesn't train some of his apprentices just to have a little bit of a spiritual fulfilling life, and then others are leaders. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14? Whoever believes in me, in other words, all of my apprentices will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. 
That sounds like every serious apprentice of Jesus is going to be given great power and therefore is being trained to take great responsibility in Jesus' household. So why don't we reflect on this for a moment? What would that faithful, wise stewardship of the master's resources look like for you? First of all, did you know that your body is what Dallas Willard calls a power pack? It's the thing God has given you to navigate the world and to obey Him with. My doctoral professor, Dr. Mary-Kate Morse, uh, taught me, and this comes from her book, she says, leadership is a physical and social process. It's thousands of little body gestures or postures, gestures, nuanced voices, and intricate intuitive engagements with others. Once you read that, you go, oh yeah, I've been in a meeting like that. I, I can pick up those in, intuitive gestures and those little ways that people use their voice so that power is exerted. I know what that's about. She says, leadership involves stewardship of one's own physical being and the physical being of others. We're all responsible to let the Holy Spirit shape the way we come into a space with our body, with our voice. Second of all, each of us has a degree of social power, and it's related to the expertise we have, the character people attribute to us, the role that we play in an organization, the, even the place that we play in, in a certain culture. All of these things are part of power, and those aren't a problem. They're just resources that come to us. Mary-Kate Morris, again, reminds us power is God's gift. Powerlessness is not a virtue, Power, using power to help the powerless is. So we need to seek God's guidance for how we use our social power for the good of others. So if you considered how to run your business or lead a department or coordinate a project, even if it's just a couple of people, in a way that reflects Jesus, would your employees or colleagues say that because they work in a department with you, that their life is more whole, that, there are, that there's blessing that flows to them? Parents, are you working to raise your children in a safe, loving, fair environment? How are you helping your kids find a good network of friends and spiritual mentors? How are you teaching them the faith that shapes you? Young people, you have social power too. You know the ways that your personality and charisma and abilities can shape the mood of a classroom or a gymnasium or a hallway. You know the influence you have on your younger siblings or your cousins. How does Jesus want to shape the way you influence your peers? And what about in church? For some, it's easy to just treat church as one more consumer item. You show up, you receive, and you let everybody else do the work. Others might be seeking a role of influence in the church because it's an opportunity to lord it over people, maybe in ways you couldn't do in your workplace. But the stewards that Jesus wants to train offer their time and their talent and their treasure for the good of the church's mission, and especially for the vulnerable Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger, they've talked about toxic community. I've already read that. This is how they describe a church shaped by Jesus. 
They say a spirit-formed, Christ-like culture nurtures truth, offers healing for the wounded, seeks opportunities to show redemptive grace and love, focuses on serving others rather than being served, and looks for ways to establish justice in the daily paths of life. A Christ-like church culture always has its eye on people because the mission of the church is all about God's redemptive love for people. So what comes to mind for you? What is the master entrusted to you that is not just for your good, but is meant to be a good for everyone? Jesus gives this encouraging promise to people who show that faithful stewardship. Verse 44, I tell you, the master will put that faithful servant in charge of all his possessions. This chief of staff who uses his power responsibly is is promoted. His faithfulness in the smaller sphere leads to him being promoted to chief executive officer with a larger sphere of responsibility. I think, number one, we see that happening in the world and, and we can see it happening in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus taught in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. In other words, when we have been responsible in a little bit, greater responsibility can come toward us. The time you make for personal Bible study may lead to opportunities to teach others. If you're someone who has a listening ear and you try to do that with everyone you speak to, you will get opportunities to mentor people and build into them. If you organize an event well, You'll see opportunities to organize greater things, to lead a department or or an organization. If you run your business more fairly or honestly than your competitor, you will see employee loyalty and customer loyalty over the long run. And being a positive influence on your peers in school could lead to leadership opportunities that get to shape the culture in a positive way. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. But second, Scripture tells us that in the new heavens and the new earth, those who made Jesus their Lord will be raised from the dead and they will reign. They will rule. Our eternal existence will be filled with responsibility. Have you ever thought about that? We will be doing meaningful work from a place of restfulness and of God's infinite power, not disturbed by illness or sin or natural disasters or injustice. That's a pretty amazing hope. And every one of us who's raised from the dead, who's trusted Jesus, will experience the joy of that. But we also gather from the New Testament that there's going to be levels of responsibility there. This doesn't mean that God loves some people more than others. It doesn't mean that He accepts people more than others. But in some way, the way God structures how things are done in eternity will relate to how we work with faithfulness in this life. It might shake down different than we expected. There may be people we paid zero attention to that Jesus watched carefully and with great pleasure, and He will give them responsibilities that 
we never imagined they were qualified for. And there will be other people that we emulated who God will say, yeah, that was a, kind of a big deal on earth, but you know, the assignment may not look the same as was expected. It's, it's a mystery, and obviously Jesus is the sovereign one who understands how all that works. But we are being watched for how we act faithfully in our work. As I reflect on Jesus' teaching, I'm just so thankful for the leaders that we have in our church, and so many people could be named. I think of Marilyn Winter, who's been our finance director for years and is finishing up her tenure. Under Marilyn's leadership, we have got A-pluses in financial stewardship year upon year upon year, and under her leadership, she also expresses this great heart of uh, care for the vulnerable. I think of Scott and Nikki White who have given themselves so in such a dedicated way so that we can experience the touch of God and the prayer ministry that we have here at our church. I think of Robbie and Sue Ray who have been such an influence on my life, my wife's life, who invest so deeply in the marriages of our church through the marriage course, through their own example so that we can see what it looks like to, to love one another well. And there's so many other leaders, life group leaders, committee members, you know, ministry leaders, people serving faithfully, humbly, often in very quiet ways so that we can be cared for. We have an amazing gift in that here in our church. Who are the women and men who God has used to care for you? Who's mentored you? Who's walked with you through times of healing? Who's shown hospitality to you when you were lonely? Probably there are some faces that come to mind. I think we should give thanks for that. Would you just pray with me? Lord, we, we're just so blessed to think of people, sometimes very humble people, who include us in their lives and who love us. Lord, that's you at work through them, and we're so thankful that you've done this. Thankful for the work that you've done in them to make them servants and, and kind people. And Lord, for all the goodness that we have benefited from, you deserve the glory. We thank you. Amen. Maybe you want to express your thanks to some of those people in a phone call or a card this week. Now, sadly, servants are not always trustworthy. As John Dixon demonstrates in his book, there are saints, but there are also bullies. But Jesus knew this would happen. Verse 45, suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger say that the, the main signs of a toxic leader are narcissism, right? It's all about me, all about the brand, and power through fear. When leaders are permitted and even protected to act that way, all kinds of damage can happen. And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe a spiritual leader who was supposed to teach and care for you instead abused their position of power and took advantage of you or someone that you love. Maybe you had a church leader who ruined community by their manipulation of things for their self-interest and pride. Maybe a family member who projected holy character in the community was cruel and manipulative and abusive at home. 
Maybe you invested your energies and your gifts into a community and then messy church politics just shut you out. Or maybe you were part of a legalistic religious tradition where the judgmentalism and all the rules have just left this lingering feeling that you could never be loved in your imperfection. If that's you today, I want to say to you on behalf of the church, I am so sorry. That was not fair, wasn't right, and it is not the kind of leadership that Jesus endorses. So what is the master doing about these abusive leaders? Is he overlooking their abuse like the institutions that they're part of often do? To use the words of one famously narcissistic pastor, are a pile of dead bodies behind the bus just the cost of doing mission? Absolutely not. Verse 46, it says, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he's not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. You know, when you're always thinking of yourself, it's easy to lose track of time and assume that this delay just means you have the freedom to take charge for yourself. But Jesus has already said that when the master comes, it'll be like an unexpected burglar in the night. And it will not go well for the self-serving leader. This isn't meek and mild Jesus here, is it? Jesus says the master will cut him to pieces. That's intense. The Greek word is dichotomeo. Understand dichotomy, right? Two sides to something. It means cut in two. Maybe that's something the Romans did. It wouldn't be uh, below them to, to be cutting people in two if they were in trouble. But Jesus might just mean something like he will receive a serious tongue lashing, right? A severe rebuke. But at the very least, the master takes this misconduct very seriously. Maybe dichotomeo is, to, to dichotomeo someone is a strong way of saying that the master will expose this two-sidedness of this person. And then he says he'll assign him a place with the unbelievers, or as he says in, in the parallel parable in the Gospel of Matthew, with the hypocrites. For all he says, we can see that this servant is not who he claims to be. He's rejected the instructions of his master. He's an unbeliever, a poser, an insubordinate. In spite of his position in the house, he's an intruder, not a trusted family member. He's forgotten that he's a doulos. A servant, an apprentice. If you've been mistreated by a spiritual leader, know that Jesus sees and keeps a record of every tear that falls and every wound that's inflicted. He does not forget. In Paul's words, the Lord will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And he does this with his word. Hebrews 4 talks about the word of God being living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and, and cutting into us in a deep way, exposing all of our motives. So we've heard this promise of God entrusting more to those who are faithful, but on the flip side is this stern warning. 
If we're a parent, a boss, a leader, a teacher who uses our influence to diminish others and exalt ourselves, if we project a picture of godliness to the community but we mistreat the people that are closest to us, if we live with privilege but we take no consideration for the poor and the vulnerable among us or beyond us, if we know the gospel but we take no time to share it with people who don't know Jesus, even if the world doesn't see, Jesus sees and He hears the cries of the mistreated and the neglected. Whatever our failure to care for the household over which Jesus, our Master, has given us charge, we will have to answer for it. If we have this posture of self-indulgence and it goes unchecked and it doesn't bother us, Indeed, the master will question whether we've ever sincerely believed. And we will come under his discipline. Verse 47, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. That's discipline language. For the safety of the community, the master has to intervene to restrain the evil He might frustrate plans. He might raise up new leadership who finally says, enough. Victims may come forward. Outsiders may do investigations and it comes out in the media and suddenly evil is exposed. Or maybe adversity comes into the life of that offender and they realize, oh my goodness, God is saying something to me. By the time Jesus was done with his disciples, they were well equipped and they went on to live out his mission faithfully. Every one of them sacrificed everything so that the church could be built up for the kingdom. Now, I know that I have been given many opportunities to grow in my life and in my faith. My upbringing the education God has given me the opportunity to have, and the mentors that have spoken into my life, I've been so well equipped. And that puts in me holy fear when I read this. It makes me want to come under the master's training as a daily apprentice and not just allow the flow of my selfishness to take charge and need him to restrain my arrogance down the road. I am intrigued, though, by the next thing Jesus says in in verse 48. He says, but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus recognizes that there's going to be times when people are thrust into positions of leadership and they're not ready for it. This is a perennial problem in Christian leadership. When a person's gifts or charisma kind of propel them to a position of leadership, when their inner life is not built strong enough to deal with the challenges. In some places in the world, the church is under such persecution or it's growing so fast that the people who are placed in positions of leadership are untrained novices in leadership. Sometimes growth happens so fast in a ministry or an organization that any willing person is swept up into into it to fulfill a role. And here Jesus is offering a bit of grace. 
He's saying that if you started further behind spiritually or emotionally than others and suddenly you find yourself in roles of leadership that you weren't prepared for, you will need discipline, but he is going to be gentle and kind in that process. But, of course, if we're listening today, we already knew more than, know more than we did when we started listening. We know at the very least we need Jesus to teach us a better way of leadership than the one we learned from the world. We're aware of our need now, and now we have no excuse for continuing in our hurtfulness. It's time to do the work that will help us to be safer, more trustworthy leaders. And so Jesus concludes with this chilling statement, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Or in the words of Peter's uncle, it's Peter Parker, of course, with great power comes great responsibility. Friends, if this message has kind of pricked your heart and you realize some changes need to happen in your life, don't put it off. There's a phrase in 1 Corinthians that captures the mindset that we as Christians are called to have. Time is short. Now, that was written 2,000 years ago, but Jesus teaches us that the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. When Christians have been their most effective, they are living with this mindset. Time is short. The master could be rounding the corner and heading for home this afternoon. Are we ready to give an accounting for our lives, for the ways that we've used our influence for the sake of his people? I don't know about you, but this is intense. Is there any good news? After all, every one of us has exerted influence that's tainted by sin. We failed to lead sacrificially and selflessly the way Jesus would. Somebody has been hurt by the way that I have used my power around them in negative ways. Or by the way I failed to use it for their sake when I should have. From our record of wrongful influence, we deserve the blows. We deserve the discipline of our master. Instead, our master came to bear the blows for us. The apostle Peter, who had clearly internalized Jesus' teaching, wrote in his letter, 1 Peter, these words, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And yet... He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Jesus, the master, became the faithful and wise manager. He used his power not to his own advantage, but to rescue his house from certain destruction. And he did that by submitting his body to the cruelty of the corrupt religious and political managers of his day. He didn't return blow for blow. Instead, he allowed them to kill him. And Peter tells us why. 
so that we in our influence, in our leadership, in our use of power might die to sins. We put aside all the selfish motives that have driven our influence and we would live for righteousness. What power has God given you? How is Jesus asking you to be more diligent in caring for others? Is there self-serving or hurtful behavior that you need to confess and repent of today, possibly make amends for? Is there inner work where you need to let the Holy Spirit deal with your jealousy, your shame, your lust for things that you can take advantage of in others, the, the ways that you've asked people to fill a gap in your life they were never meant to fill? Where do you need to fall upon the mercy of our Master, Jesus? Maybe you've been hurt by a corrupt leader and you need to begin a journey to find freedom and wholeness. Maybe you've never talked about what's happened to you, to anyone before. Is there something that you need to bring into the light? Or maybe you find yourself in a place of leadership today that you feel out of your league for. You feel like your character is being stretched and you just need someone to, to pray with you that you, would, that you would have the wisdom that you need to lead that in that space well. Our, our pastors and our prayer team would love to pray with you today in our prayer room or here up front. And we can direct you toward help that you need. I invite you to stand and we'll pray. Lord Jesus, you were in very nature God. All the power in the universe was at your disposal. All you had to do was speak a word and your will came to be. And you did not consider that something to be used to your own advantage, but you made yourself nothing, taking the very nature of a doulos, a servant, so that you could lift us up, so that you could rescue us from ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here. I pray that where there is wounding, Lord, you would begin that journey of healing. Lord, where we have influenced others in ways that are, have been for our advantage instead of for theirs, please forgive us. And free us from the things that drive us to do that. Lord Jesus, would you work alongside of us? We are your apprentices and we want to learn from you how to lead as you would lead in each place that we are, whether we lead one other person or thousands. We trust you to teach us, Lord. We pray that we would be different because we have come under your leadership. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.